You know, the devil uses trials to pull us away from the Lord or cause us to doubt Him. But, you know, God uses those trials to refine us and strengthen us and help us to grow. And so, uh, you know, I've been listening to... uh, uh, Jay Vernon McGee a little bit. And uh, he says that... uh, Kind of the theme of... Let me grab my notes. I left my notes over here. <clears throat> but he, he says that the theme of Job is is repentance. And I, I didn't think of that like that. But, uh, you know, uh, in just a couple more chapters, we've been trying to cover one chapter per week. And in, a, in a, about another month, we should... We should be to where uh, God speaks... Let's see if I can get back there. Um, and you, you know, whenever God does speak to Job, uh, Job does say, I, "I repent." And so Job did; his trials did bring him to a, a matter of repentance. And you know, uh, Job, we've studied; he's kind of a type or example of Christ. The, the Bible says that Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He, he was tempted in the same categories to be, to sin as we are, yet he did not sin. And Job, the Bible says he was a perfect man. And I think it took this level of trials for him to see sin in his own life. And uh, and so his friends have been trying to prompt him to admit or confess some type of outward sin, and he hasn't sinned. He is innocent. He has maintained his integrity, uh, but he uh, he has a sin nature, doesn't he? I mean, all of our grandpa, 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 grandpa goes all back to Adam, doesn't it? And in Adam, uh, all die. Uh, we we all. Uh, the Bible says, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin." It says, "And and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." So we we've all we're all sinners. Job was a sinner, but it wasn't his sin that it was a spiritual attack that uh, brought about this his demise of loss of possessions and lands and servants, and his own children died and. Uh, he's affected with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And I read this this week. I was going to look at it. Uh, there's actually a medical condition called Job Syndrome. It's a medical condition, and it's basically boils. Yeah, I read that this week. I thought, wow. And so even the medical community have, have tried to identify what Job had, but it was satanic. It was from the devil. And one thing that we noticed uh, early on is the devil attacks from the outside, but the Lord works from the inside. And, and that was significant when I got saved because I tried not to smoke, not to cuss, not to do all these bad things. But uh, I wasn't saved. And so it wasn't until the Lord saved me and began to work on the inside. It's like it put our marriage back on track. It put our kids back on track. It gave me peace on my job. All these things. It was just kind of a rebuilding from the inside out. So God works from the inside out. And that's what Elihu in our lesson today is talking about. And uh, Jim, did you take your pointer? No, here it is. 
So this is kind of the general area of Uz where Job uh, lived, the land of Uz. And uh, these are where we think uh, Elihu, uh, there is a city, I think, called Buzz. And uh, that's where Elihu is from. And I'm not real sure about his other three friends. Uh, Eliphaz, he was the Temanite. Zophar, the Namathite. And uh, Bildad, uh, they think maybe that's where they were from. So I just wanted to give you kind of a general idea. These are historical people. These are actual stories. And this is probably the earliest book of our Bible written, you know, uh, approximately 1,700 years before Christ, maybe 1,800. And uh, let's see, I gave you... Everybody thinks this is kind of interesting, so let me put it up there again. It's uh, the longevity chart. Um, And I think I put, yeah, let me see if I can make it as big as I can here. Up in this top, uh, be the right hand corner. It puts him, he, he lived approximately 100 or 20, 240 years from about 1840 BC to 1600 BC. But, uh, this, Vertical blue line represents the flood of Noah, and uh, this takes the ancestry from Noah, uh, I'm sorry, from Adam, uh, all the way to Noah here at the flood. And then uh, I kind of wrote this in with high, and highlighted it. So Job lived approximately, you know, the time of Abraham's children or grandchildren. Uh, that, uh, if you can see that, that's Abraham. Yeah, so it's got Abraham here, uh, really the first Jew. Uh, so there's kind of squares around some of the big names, Adam, Noah. Uh, the Bible says uh, the days of Peleg, the uh, earth was divided, and that was around the time of the flood. Uh, and then uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is the last name on here. And that's, uh, you know, when they went down into Egypt. And our pastor Brian is is uh, studying the book of Exodus right now. So after this class, we'll go in the main service. I think Brian will be speaking about that. But anyway, just some interesting stuff. Uh, Kevin, did you, were you going to say something? Um, that's that death that you're talking about that entered into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you meaning separation? Yeah. Yeah, and physical death. So yeah, in 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 the Bible, uh, death is is a matter of separation. But well, let's turn to Job now uh, in the thirty fourth chapter. And like I say, we've we've been trying to go one chapter per week. I think one week we did two chapters. But, uh, so basically we've been studying Job for 34 weeks. And I've, I've missed a time or two, so I think we started last August, if I remember right, or September-ish. But, uh, if you're at Job 34, uh, Emmett, I'd like to start with you. 
you're our senior. You're our elder. Um, read the first three verses of uh, Job 34, please. Furthermore, he answered and said, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye that have known and knowledge. For the ear trieth words, as the mouth faces me. Yeah. In that verse three, a pretty wise statement. It says, "The ear trieth words as the mouth tasteth meat." I mean, I love the Bible, but uh, that's just a pretty cool statement right there. And so I had uh, I had you put the word "taste" in your first blank on your handout. If you've got your handout, uh, just the word "taste." But uh, I really don't watch reality show. But you know, there, there's cooking shows, and you know they'll have some famous chef on there. And uh, well, uh, Heather works in the the restaurant industry, and you know um, maybe everything uh, like a fast food, it, it just comes prepackaged. You know how, but when you're cooking, you know you say, well, this might need more salt, or you know if you really know your, if you have a very sensitive palate or whatever, you might say this needs oregano or more garlic or you know and and you know whenever uh, I studied a little bit and, and Jim has taught you know manuscript evidence how we got our Bible but uh, j- just as the Old Testament was preserved by the priests, the, the New Testament has been uh, canonized uh, and brought and preserved by the priesthood of believers. And uh, one of the things that I've read that they did is, you know, as they would look at manuscript and should this be in the Bible or should it not, one of the things that they said that I read... Does it have the ring of truth? Does it ring of truth? Does this sound like God said this? And that's pretty cool. And that's what Elihu is saying, that the ear tries words just like the mouth tastes his food. And uh, <clears throat> so it's just a very wise statement, he says. And uh, t- turn back to Job 23, because Job makes a statement about food himself, doesn't he? In, in 23:12, uh, Pam, would you read that? Yeah. Have I gone back from the commandment of his lips? I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? He, he esteemed God's words more than his necessary food. It's like, yeah, my belly's hungry, but I need God more than my belly needs food. That That's pretty cool. Every time I hear that verse, I hear Del Lytle. Yeah, Del Lytle. That was. He's, yeah. He would just quote that at at good times. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Our friend Dale. So, uh, just like food, uh, I don't know. Just just me growing up, and, and still to this day, I eat my food too fast, and maybe you do too, but. It's like we just need to slow down and chew it and savor it, enjoy it, taste it. And 
you know, the Word of God is uh, like fine dining. So we're hopefully we're being served up uh, good food today, and uh, you're you're enjoying it, and uh, your your mind is tasting it. You know, my, my Father in the Lord. Uh, well, let, let me let me go on down here just a little bit. Let's uh, uh, four through six, Suzanne, uh, back to thirty, Job thirty-four, four through six. Let us choose to us, judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job hath said, "Has said, I am righteous. God hath taken away my judgment. Shall I lie against my right? My wound is incurable, without transgression." Yeah. Uh, so he he's kind of quoting Job here, um, and 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 Elihu is saying, you know, hey, let's let's judge what Job has said. He has said he is righteous, you know. Let's see if he is, and he. Uh, and he says that God took away his judgment. Let's see what Job actually said here. Uh, turn back to 19.7. Because Job does talk about judgment in 19.7. I thought it was good to uh, just see what Elihu was talking about. Because Elihu was probably there the whole time that his friends were talking. Uh, Kevin, you want to read 19.7? Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. Yeah, so he he's just wishing God would see his integrity and and uh, you know let everybody know that Job's being wronged. And so Elihu comments on that and and just says that. Um, God's taken away his judgment. God won't judge it. And, and then he says, uh, Job said that he is righteous. Look at uh, Job 27, uh, 6. Uh, Heather 27, 6. Fast. 27, 6. My, right, my righteousness I hold fast. And I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Yeah, no. We talked a little bit about this. Just that um, we said that righteousness. Uh, the Bible says many times that God God is righteous, and. Uh, just a pastor said one time that I I always think of. He says that you know just like your clocks turn clockwise, he says the way that God works, he always works rightwise. Everything God does is right, and so when you think of righteousness, just think that that's how God works. And uh, unrighteous is, is how the lost uh, work, or how the uh, how the devil is unrighteous. And right at right at the end of uh, Romans one, it lists like twenty two things that are unrighteous. But uh, the thing we're we're seeing here that there's also a self righteous. And uh, sometimes that th- this person could be saved or lost, uh, I-, I-, I believe. And I've got a chart that I'm going to bring out uh, when we get a little further. But um, 
so uh, you know this would be the the Pharisee the the legalistic Pharisees and Sadducees they were self righteous and uh, you know Paul says that Israel is gone about to establish their own righteousness and so uh, anyway self righteousness is is not good and uh, of course Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea they came out of that and uh, so hopefully. Uh, you, uh, the, the Bible says that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So because Christ was righteous and we're in Him, we can be righteous through Him. Amen? And so that, that is the, the goal. Uh, and then let's read uh, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, Pat, are you, st- are you in Job 34? Uh, Job 34 and 7 through 9. It says, What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in company with the workers of him, and walketh with wicked men? For he hath said, It profiteth a man nothing that should delight himself with God. Thank you, Pat. Now, in the middle of verse 8 there, you know, Elihu is making some accusations. And he's saying that Job is walking with the workers of iniquity. He's going with them. and he walketh with wicked men, and and that kind of reminds us of Psalm one, where we shouldn't, you know, walk with the ungodly or sit in the seat of the scornful and uh, stand in the place of sinners or something. I, I probably misquoted that a little bit. And uh, you know, when uh, I got saved when our son was seven years old and our daughter was three, I believe, and. Uh, and our son played uh, in a year or two of soccer at the Kansas City Baptist Temple and uh, also T-ball and most of you know our son Luke and uh, anyway uh, when, when he uh, at the end of the soccer league or the baseball league their, their coach gave him a little pocket Bible and in it it had uh, Proverbs 13.20 and it, uh, 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And so the coach was trying to help young people, hey, walk with wise people. He that was, You're going to be wise if you walk with wise people, but if you're a friend of foolish people, you're going to be destroyed. And so that, that really stuck out to me. I don't know if Luke would remember that if you asked him, but it helped me as a, as a dad that, uh, hey, these people are trying to help support my son and grow him in the Lord. Uh, but now your, your teaching point here, uh, this thing about judgment, I put the word judgment in your next blank. We need to get some new markers. This one's it's kind of looks like we hit it against the wall. It's just barely sticking out. Yeah, I just it. Well, make sure I have another one. Oh, we didn't. Did we? Okay. Yeah, have you got a black one? Thank you. Get some more. Are we good? Um. Now I gave you a couple of verses on judgment. 
uh, you know the Bible has a book of Judges? There's a book called Judges. And uh, God actually set that up uh, for people to... It, it was kind of... Maybe if God's Word... You know, they had the, the, the first five books of our Bible... Uh, maybe if God's word hadn't spoken to a certain thing, judges would, you know, judge things. They would they would judge between people and uh, civil matters. And uh, so anyway, there there is a question whether uh, Christians should judge. And and I gave you a verse there from John: Judge not according to appearance or to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So so there is a righteous judgment. Uh, we, we can't just judge according to how things look. And then uh, your teaching point, I gave you another verse there, that he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. <clears throat> and I, I think all of us would agree that... We we can't judge what's in somebody's heart. We we don't know people's heart, and uh, I always want to think that people can change. I mean, I would I wouldn't lead our recovery group if I didn't think that. Um, but but I gave you, I had a list here. I seen this on uh, online. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I think it was back where I was. Oh, that was it. Was that? This was. It just says, "Are are Christians to judge?" I've got this uh, real touchy screen, don't I? Let me see if I can do this. Hit the bar at the top, it shouldn't collapse. The bar at the top. Yeah, there you go. All right. And I don't know if you can see that very well. Our Christians to judge. Uh, and I kind of went through this this morning and looked up most of these. Jesus teaches us how to judge, Jesus commands us to judge. That, that's the verse on your handout. Judging is a character is the character of being spiritual. We are to judge those in the church. I think there's one there about uh, you know if, if you hear another gospel, don't believe it. Uh, judging matter between brothers, but then there's even some things about doctrine and teaching and false Christians, and so there is some instructions in the Bible to judge. But if you if you can see the bottom, it it just says that. Um, you know, we're just not to judge hypocritically or superficially, and uh, so I, I think that's where usually the tie, the the things are. You know that the, the uh, my theme verse for the book of Matthew is Matthew twenty three twenty three, and it says that. Uh, 
they omitted the weightier matters of the law like faith and judgment and and mercy I think it says but they were so focused on the little things of you know we need to tithe of our mint and cumin and you know the spices we're supposed to tithe but they omitted the weightier things of the law so Christ said you know get the beam out of your own eye and then you can see better to judge this, the mode in somebody else's eye right yeah yeah just a little thing so anyway those are just some things about judgment that I wanted to bring up today but and then it kind of goes back to that first is verse 3 the ear trieth the words we are to try the words and that's it's judging uh huh that's good that's good yeah Thank you, Jim. Separating themselves from God and not separating themselves from God. Mm-hmm. By lying to you. Mm-hmm. Whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Those are good, good comments. Well, uh, let's go back to Job 34. And who's got verse 10? Is that uh, Lori? Therefore, hearken unto me, ye men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Yeah, so now he, he's saying he's got some uh, things about God he's going to talk about. <clears throat> and he says that uh, you know God doesn't uh, commit iniquity. And uh, I gave you a verse there from Habakkuk. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but uh, the word I put in your blank is just the word pure. It, that verse actually says that God is too pure eyes to look upon iniquity. So this is part of the purpose. Has everybody ever heard that? Or let me ask you this. What do you think this means when somebody says, well, you're just looking through rose-colored glasses? What, who, what do you think that even means? Just... Uh... Pat said you're seeing things the way you want to see them. Yeah, in a happy way. But but do you know that kind of comes from the Bible? God has to look at us through rose-colored glasses. He has to look at us through the blood of Christ. It says He's actually too pure to look upon iniquity, and we're all sinners. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Very cool. God has to look at you, and He wants to see the best. He sees it the way He wants to see it. Which is the right, he, the true. So that that's why uh, you know people have to get saved. They have to. Do, do you know that? Uh, I, I like this little in, in Ephesians uh, four thirty two. Uh, see if I can quote it. Be ye kind, love one another. Be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. I used to have my kids write that verse. That was Isley's very first Bible verse. Oh, really? So think, think about this. If God forgave us... Uh, so be kind, uh, tender-hearted one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake. So think about this. God didn't forgive us directly. He forgave us through Christ. Now, uh, how do I forgive others? 
and and I and I, I've heard people say I've heard a lady say this something like that she was going through a divorce. I love God, but I can't forgive that man. Something like that. Well, I mean, I I believe that you you probably can't forgive him, but through Christ you can forgive him. So, if I'm going to forgive that other person, I'm going to have to do it through Christ. And and think about that. Uh, You know, Matthew 18 is like my favorite verse chapter on forgiveness because that's where the man that owed his master ten thousand talents. And that that master forgave him. And then his servant that owed him a hundred pence, he wouldn't forgive him. He was just forgiven a, a hundred or thousand, ten thousand talents, and he wouldn't forgive this guy a hundred pence. And I look at that like God forgave us so much that whatever you do to me is forgivable. Amen. Do you see the the comparison? I mean, this distance between God and us is a lot more than this distance between us and others, and that's Ephesians 4:32. That that uh, anyway, that's a little bit sidetracked. But God is of two pure eyes to look upon iniquity. That Lori read, and God, so He doesn't commit iniquity. He can't look upon it, but only through Christ He can. Uh, verses 11 and 12, Jimmy. For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedness, neither will the Almighty deserve judgment. So, in verse 11, I mean, these things are true that he's saying about God. That God will render to every man according to his ways. You know, that that's kind of the law of sowing and reaping. But in, in their mind, Job has done some great sin. That's why God punishes him. But, but that's not actually what happened. So think, he, he's saying true things about God. And then... Uh, uh, Angie, or no, uh, Belinda, 13, 14, and 15, if you would. Who hath given him the charge of the earth? Or who hath disposed the whole world? Mm-hmm. He set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath. All flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again unto death. Yeah, uh... So these are some characteristics of, of God. And uh, it talks about uh, His Spirit giving man life and uh, breath. And he, he even says that uh, all in verse 15, all flesh shall perish together and man shall return into dust. So he's basically saying that God has power of life and death. And I gave you a few verses about that. Uh, and... That first one there from Samuel, that, that's Hannah's, uh, Hannah's son is Samuel. And she's, uh, she's praying, you know, God, you, only you have the power to kill and to make alive. And so, uh, you know, the, the, those are, those are some of the verses why Christians believe in the, what we call the sanctity of human life, right? In other words, human life is sanctified. It, it's set apart because God set it apart. He is, uh, he is uh, the God of, of life. And so, uh, 
God set human life apart, and so that's that's part of the walk for life next week. So those are some verses for that. Uh, if you want to look at that later, but then in sixteen through eighteen, uh, Angie, I'll have you read those. If now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my words. Shall even he that hateth right govern? <clears throat> and wilt thou condemn, condemn him that is most just? Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked, and to the princes, ye are ungodly? Now, uh, these are a little bit rhetorical questions. Uh, look at verse 17, for example. Shall even he that hateth right govern? Uh, listen, uh, I don't know who in here votes and who you vote for, but you don't want somebody governing you that hates right things, do you? That's what it says. It's, it's kind of rhetorical. Shall he that hateth right govern? No. No, the answer is no. And wilt thou condemn that is most just? So you don't want judges that are saying... Uh, if this is a just and fair person, he should be condemned, right? So he, he just these these are rhetorical questions, and uh, and then even in verse eighteen, it, it does talk about kings and princes. Is it fit to say to a king, "Thou art wicked"? And uh, I remember when I was a new Christian, uh, just and uh, hopefully this isn't offensive to anybody. But uh, Bill Clinton, I think, was the president. And I remember the preacher saying, you know, regardless of what you think about Bill Clinton, if he came to your house for dinner, you should honor him. It's the office. You honor that office. And, uh, and so what I gave you there, uh, this is a little bit of a, a soapbox for me, so forgive me, but... Um, I remember when uh, George Bush was president. And I, that, to me, that at least in my memory, that's that's when a lot of the Jay Leno's, David Letterman's started really mocking our president. And it really, I mean, I quit listening to Jay Leno and David Letterman. I mean, they would just say horrible things, you know, this bum, he's an idiot, and those type of things. Uh, and uh I mean I I I hate I, I don't do that even even now. If I don't like whoever's in office th- there's at least two verses, one in the old, one in the new, that says uh and, and I'll put here that these are we should not speak uh evil of of our rulers. Is it okay for those that have authority? Yes. Yep. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, you, you may think, or but once you start speaking about it, uh, and, and, and I, I've had this happen. You know, I lead our recovery group, and we have annual fundraisers. And one year we were going to have a, a political person speak at our kind of be the MC of our they were going to start our walk and uh and and uh and then I had I won't even tell you I I've had uh, political figures call me and want to donate to life issues I'm like well that's great and and they want their name on our shirt they want uh, advertised through our 
And uh, after I hung up the phone with that official, I called Brian. I just didn't have a piece about it. He goes, he says, Steve, if you put that person's name, and I think they were Republic, he said, you're automatically going to uh, alienate. alienate all the Democrats. And so Brian works real hard about keeping politics out of our church. And I really learned through all that. I mean, people are people. And Christians are God's people. And uh, we just want to promote the Lord. And... and Brian talks about it like this like the church is the bride of Christ and we don't want to defile the bride of Christ She, so uh, anyway I hope the one in here is guilty of speaking evil about uh, the rulers of the people because it's really God that sets people up uh, sets sets up kings and takes down others and so uh, and he can turn the hearts of the kings worse than he desires yes and pray for that person yeah that's good that's very good thank you Belinda well anyway I think I've said all I wanted to on that and but there's actually verses that we should not speak evil of the ruler of our people uh, okay we're going to try to get through all 37 verses Emmett do you want to read uh, 20 we're up to 20 we're, we're down to a verse a minute now did we read 19 ok yeah 19 and 20 there you go how much last to him that accepteth of princes nor regardeth the rich more than the poor for they are all the work of his hands and the moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away with that hand. All right, thanks, Emmett. Yeah, so uh, so God doesn't accept uh, the persons of people, whether they be rich or poor. Uh, they are all the work of His hands, and really, in, in a moment, uh, they shall die, and people shall be troubled at midnight. And some of this is hinting upon, upon the tribulation period again. I, I kind of keyed on the word midnight there. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's what my dad said. My dad said that too. <laughs> but uh, yep, uh, there's a midnight cry that goes out in Matthew 25, and uh, so I, I keyed on on that. And uh, you know, there in in verse 20, it says, "In a moment they shall die." All, all of us should probably memorize that Hebrews 9.27 and as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment I mean all of us are going to die and uh, we will all stand before the Lord so we need to uh, prepare in this life shouldn't we we should uh, prepare to meet our maker uh, verses 21 and 22 Pam so his eyes are upon the ways of man and he seeth all his going 
there is no darkness nor shadow of death for the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Now, uh, what is the word that means all knowing? Omnipotent. Yep. Omnipotent. Omnipotent. Omniscient. Yeah. And so that's what. And then uh, omnipresent. Is, so there, he's all three. And it says there's like the wick, the workers of iniquity can't hide. All things are open to the Lord. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. And he's everywhere at the same time. And so I gave you a verse there from Proverbs that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And these are remarkable statements. And. Uh, these are amazing things about God, aren't they? So, uh, verses 23 and 24, uh, Suzanne. For he will not lay upon man the right, more than right. He shall enter into the judgment with God. He shall break into pieces mighty men without number. And shall set others in his stead stand. Yeah. It's like they're making their hearts contrite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what what is First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen that? Uh, no the, yeah. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Uh, and will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so here it's saying that God uh, does not lay upon man more than that is right, uh, but he gives people that way of escape, doesn't he? I was talking to, uh, most of you know Roger Grant. He, I work with Roger and... Anyway, he, he was saying in Proverbs that he he was seeing that what is that way of escape and you know when you're when you're tempted that this is good for all of us to think about you know whenever you do feel like God has laid on me more than I can stand with that temptation he makes a way of escape and so what is that way of escape and Roger just reading through Proverbs and he he. Uh, Seeing that you're to avoid something and to pass by it and go not therein. So he gives us kind of ways of escape by, you know, using some prudence and some uh, thought. And uh, anyway, those are things that, that I, I do too. I try to look, okay, God, what, what's my way of escape here? Help me, Lord. So, so what does he say? <laughs> yeah, it's, he gave me the chapter and verse in Proverbs. Maybe just look up the word avoid or pass by. He, he said there's like four ways of escape right there in Proverbs. He says, go not in there at, pass by, you know, don't enter therein. I, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, that's a good one. yeah. He said, "Steve, those are the ways of escape." I thought, "Well, that's pretty cool." Yeah. So, so, so God's way. He uh, he has a fair judgment. Did do, Suzanne? Did you read twenty three and four? Is that what? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
in my verse, I'm reading through First Samuel. I think I'm right at the end of First Samuel. It's where you know God judged Saul and end up giving the kingdom to David, and so you know. Saul sinned against the Lord and went against God, so God judged him and gave gave the kingdom to David, who was a man after God's own heart. So there was that that just made me think of it because I'm reading through it. So verses 25 through 28, uh, Heather, do you have those? Yep. Therefore he knoweth their works and overturneth them in the night, so that they are destroyed. He striketh them as wicked men in the open sight of others, because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, read one more. So that they caused the cry of the poor to come unto him, and heareth the cry of the afflicted. Yeah, so Elihu kind of believed that maybe maybe Job has oppressed some of the poor. It's like it's like uh, maybe I would oppress someone who is poor, and they would pray to God, and then God would judge me for oppressing them. So that's what Elihu is accusing uh, Job of. And uh, God does actually avenge the wicked in the, in the tribulation period, and their their cry, uh, God's people cry, come up before the Lord, and so God does judge wicked. But again, this doesn't uh, doesn't uh, just fit him. And then it's, it says there in verse twenty eight that Heather read uh, the, or maybe it's verse twenty nine that I'm thinking of. I kind of got these mixed up. Verse 29 uh, says, When he giveth quietness. So uh, that was my teaching point there. The peace and quietness follow tribulation just as the millennium follows the tribulation period. So anyway, those are just some more uh, doctrinal uh, prophetic type things. So let's go to this last section, uh, 29 through 37. And I'll read the rest of verse 29 there. It says, When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Rather it be done against a nation or against a man only. That, that's a kind of a cool statement. It's like God can hide his face from a whole nation of people or a person individually. And... Uh, that does seem to be uh, even even the way in our own country, doesn't it? It seems like God is withdrawing Himself. He's hiding His face in certain ways. I mean, you, uh, we're seeing less and less people uh, come, to, come to be saved. I think uh, th- this is not a Southern Baptist church. We're an independent Baptist church. But I think I heard that uh, in the last year, a half a million people have left the Southern Baptist Convention. That's uh, 500,000 people. That, that's, that's a lot. That's like a whole city of people. There's 500,000 less people in the Southern Baptist Convention than there was a year ago. Because of... No, because... <laughs> everything is... We had our national pride thing this weekend. Mm-hmm. People were accepting and embracing things that go against God, and the Southern yeah. Baptists are standing up and saying, "No, this is wrong." Mm. Or I don't know. And we're I don't know how, but yeah. I don't believe that the Southern Baptists are going for that. Mm. 
very possible it's being labeled as intolerant or yeah yeah I don't know the reasons Lori church that my brother's Huh. I, mean, I feel like our church is kind of on an upswing and we're trying to be faithful to God and His Word and truth and we love love people and uh, trying to help others so so I, I think this is a really critical time that we're going right. through mm-hmm. I think everybody I think you might even touched on it a couple weeks ago because Sam and I on the way home were talking about the lesson and he said it seems like Christians are afraid to, to speak up for themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have gotten that way. Yeah. Because the whole world, yeah. nobody wants to be woke or wakefulness or yeah. well, that, that, that term has been taken away mm-hmm. what it really means. You know, awareness and wakefulness yeah. is cognitive to know the truth and to how we know what we know. You're exactly right, Heather. Thank you. you. You too, Belinda. That was good comment. We're so. Uh, I mean, uh, this is prophesied. Uh, you know, in Revelation two and three are the seven churches uh, written to, and the last two uh, being Philadelphia and Laodicea, and. Uh, uh, we, we we believe that uh, you know those those kind of speak of the church of Philadelphia was the church of the open doors is because they had a little faith and they kept God's word God kept them from the hour of temptation and uh, but the church of Laodicea they said that they're uh, you know rich and increaseth goods and have need of nothing yet they were in spirit they were poor blind naked. Uh, wretched and there's like five things but so so kind of our uh, philosophy would be that even though we're in the Laodicean age which is lukewarm and that term means the right of the people the, and, and we see that uh, through the right. the gay pride uh, and and we, we've watched kind of the whole thing but you can be a Philadelphian Christian in a Laodicean age. And uh, it says that to him that overcometh, uh, will we uh, get the new name written on the stone? Or th- there's, there's a prize for those that overcome. And what you, the thing that we need to overcome, so this is a good point. Let's just think, everybody right now, the thing that we need to overcome is the spirit of this age. Because we're all prone to be lukewarm. We're all prone to not be hot and on fire for the Lord and telling others about Christ and reading our Bibles daily because you know we've got all these smartphones and things that distract and take away and uh, and we don't see those in need that uh, are hurting and uh, need Christ and so anyway the way we overcome is we overcome the spirit of the age and the spirit of the age is to be lukewarm neither hot or cold uh, we would fall right in here would be lukewarm we're not hot and we're not cold we can become lukewarm and you just become indifferent uh, verse 30 uh, I, don't, I forget whose turn it is to read we're just yeah Kevin you got 30 just 30? Yeah. 
Okay, so that the hypocrite reign not, lest the people be ensnared. And uh, again, uh, this hypocrite, the Antichrist is the ultimate hypocrite because he is pretending to be Christ and he's leading the masses away from Christ. So some of this is very uh, prophetical, but that was your blank there. Uh, And then, Pat, would you read 31 through through the end of the chapter and we'll wrap up here. Job has, has spoken without knowledge and his words were without wisdom. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men. For he added rebellion unto his sin. He clapped his hands among us and multiplied his words against God. Yeah, and uh, you know, they clap his hands in verse thirty-seven. I mean, we we clap for people like in approval, but uh, that that wasn't you know. It's more like, uh, hey, straighten up. You know, that's there's that clap of hands too, right? Uh, so Elihu is desiring that Job be tried unto the end in verse thirty-six. Uh, I mean, he almost thinks Job needs to go through worse things, and and and, and others of his friends said something similar. But uh, sometimes that word "end" uh, can mean objective, and uh, it's like uh, it's like the end of my point about overcoming is that we not be have the spirit of the age of being lukewarm so that that's the end of my statement about that so that's my objective in, in saying that about Laodicea is we shouldn't be lukewarm we need to overcome that uh, spirit that we have that's all around us <clears throat> anyway uh, I'm going to hold up there I, I don't think I did the end of that justice but we need to get to our main service here in a few minutes Are there any other comments uh, before you leave I think Melinda still got some pizza. Did all the donuts get eaten? I, I need to add my neighbor Matt to my prayer list. He broke his ribs and this is the second time he's broken his ribs. Wow. What did you do? He was helping his Maybe. I said earlier that somebody hit this against something and pushed the tip in. Kevin said that's probably what happened to it. I dropped it. Uh, Dottie's asking for prayer because her family lost her niece. Yeah. Yeah, let's pray for Dottie's family. So thank you for joining us online. I don't know who all is still listening, but uh, hopefully it was a blessing to you. And uh, 
I know they can't hear everybody's comments, but it was good, good class this morning, good discussion. Leo Namita, you doing okay? okay. Your your son graduated college. Mm-hmm. Congratulations! Yeah, and uh, love on Ronnie here. Get to know him a little bit, and uh, let's let's pray for your children. Let's do that. Okay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, close our time in this class, the foundation class. Lord, uh, thank you for each soul present. I know uh, some folks are tired, maybe hurting. uh, Ronnie just asked for prayer for his children. He's a burden for them. So we lift up Ronnie's family to you and just lift up Ronnie as well as... uh, his future is just a little uncertain and just uh, pray for him to have direction even today and Lord thank you for this uh, good news about uh, Leo and Amita's son graduating college I pray he can get uh, good employment and Lord uh, Belinda's concerned for her neighbor Matt that broke his ribs and uh, I, I know that can be painful and short of breath and so Lord probably a long healing and so help uh, Belinda to minister to him and Father for uh Dottie's niece's family, the Lord, as they uh, mourn her loss. I pray that Dottie and others can minister to them. Your Holy Spirit would just comfort and just any uh, unspoken things. Lord, I pray your good hand be upon this church. Help help us not to be lukewarm. May it may it not be said of Heartland Baptist Fellowship uh, or the, any of the members that we be uh, lukewarm, Father. Help us to be zealous. Help us to uh, go up swinging like Jim says. And uh, Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Better close, shut off my thing here. Um. Mm-hmm.